Joe Biden says we're closer to nuclear war with Russia than we've been in 60 years. His FBI hauls off pro-lifers, and John Stewart, of all people, attacks the Attorney General of the state of Arkansas for trying to protect children from abuse on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 255 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Sunday, October 9th, 2022. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this really different kind of talk show, we're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Now, for the record, the Arkansas legislature passed a bill outlawing chemical and surgical castration last year. Arkansas's Republican governor vetoed the bill because that's what the corporate interests in this state wanted. He went on the Tucker Carlson show on Fox News and said the corporate interests had nothing to do with his decision, and then Tucker proved he was lying. Anyway, Republicans in the legislature overwhelmingly overrode Governor Hutchinson's veto. But the bill has not taken effect yet because the Walton Family Foundation, the heirs of the Walmart fortune, the ACLU, and the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce, among others, have sued the state of Arkansas to try to keep the law from taking effect. In the meantime, a fellow named Matt Walsh has publicized videos from the Vanderbilt University Medical Center over in Nashville in which the people in charge of Vanderbilt's transgender unit brag about how financially lucrative the procedures are. Tennesseans, including their governor and at least one of the U.S. senators, have been so alarmed at what Vanderbilt has been doing, they announced they were going to take legal and or legislative steps to stop it. So now Vandy has waved the white flag and announced that they will stop mutilating children. This brings us to a guy who calls himself John Stewart. He's a former comedian turned political activist and hack. His real name is Jonathan Stewart Leibowitz. Now, there's nothing funny about today's topic, so I'm going to call him Leibowitz instead of his made-up comedian name. He used to do something called The Daily Show on Comedy Central years ago, but these days, he's just a tool, just a useful idiot for Democrat politicians. He is troubled by the idea that anyone 
would want to protect children from the irreversible child abuse inherent in the ingestion of puberty blockers or transgender surgery, for that matter. One is just as irreversible as the other. So he's not going to sit down and try to interview someone like Matt Walsh because he would be no match for Matt Walsh. No, no. He would rather attack Arkansas's female attorney general, Leslie Rutledge. So here's how that went. Why would the state of Arkansas step in to override parents, physicians, psychiatrists, endocrinologists who have developed guidelines? Why would you override those guidelines? Wrong, wrong. Wrong, John. The guidelines were actually developed by an organization called the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. It's an organization begun in 1979 in collaboration with Dr. John Money, a pedophile who performed unspeakable experiments on little boys, twin brothers, who both eventually committed suicide as a result. Now notice what Leibowitz does here. He appeals to a common logical fallacy called the appeal to authority. Why don't you trust the authorities? Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, how dare you think for yourself? He uses the euphemism guidelines. That's because he doesn't want to talk about the actual issue, which is giving prepubescent children experimental drugs to change their hormones, the same drugs given to adult sex offenders in prison to chemically castrate them. What he doesn't want to talk about is the process of performing double mastectomies on healthy middle school-aged girls. Nope. All he wants to talk about is the appeal to authority. Why don't you just shut up, stop thinking, and know your place, little lady? Now, as the Q&A, yeah, he's a sexist. Now, as the Q&A continues, you'll notice Attorney General Rutledge maintains her composure and acts in a professional, polite dignified manner, whereas Leibowitz is emotional, impolite, and acts like a jerk. So here is Attorney General of Arkansas, Leslie Rutledge's first response to John Stuart Leibowitz. Well, I think it's important that all of those physicians, all of those experts, for every single one of them, there's an expert that says, we don't need to allow children to be able to take those medications. That there are many instances right. where... But you know that's not true. You, you know it's not for everyone. There's one. There's. Yo, Leibowitz, hold on. You're not in New York anymore. All right? We expect manners in the South. How dare you interrupt a lady and call her a liar? Not true, but you wouldn't know the truth if it bit you in the latissimus dorsi. Here's more. But you know that's not true. You, you know it's not for everyone. There's one. There's These are the established Well, I don't know that, that that's not true. I don't know that. Then why, you would, know you, that. why would you pass a law then if you, don't, if you don't know that that's true? Okay, wait. Why would she pass a law? Dude, Leibowitz, are you so ignorant you have no idea how a government works? She's the attorney general of the state. She's not in the legislature. 
She had nothing to do with the law being passed. But since it was, it falls to her, it's part of her job description, to defend it in court. Leibowitz, seriously, how can you be so stupid? Well, I know that there are doctors and that we had plenty of people come and testify before our legislature mm -hmm. who said that, uh, you know, we have 98% of the young people who have gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. uh, that they are able to move past that. And once they have the, the help that they need, no longer suffer from gender dysphoria. 98% wow. without uh, that medical treatment. That's, that, an, that's an, so, an incredibly made up figure. So again. Again, he has the gall to call the Attorney General of the state of Arkansas a liar. Now, she's a lot nicer than I am. At this point, I would have called security and had him escorted from my office. You know, I went back and rewatched Tucker Carlson's interview with Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchison on this issue from April 2021. And in the interview, Tucker said the research he has read also says the overwhelming percentage of children with gender dysphoria who are allowed to just go through puberty without being given drugs or surgery to try to stop it, make it through puberty, come to realize they are, after all, the sex God made them to be at long last. So would Leibowitz call Tucker a liar too? Now, speaking of the God who created us, that's what this is all about, in case you didn't realize by now. People like political hack John Stuart Leibowitz, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, and the heirs of the Walmart fortune have so totally rebelled against their creator that they are shaking their fists in his face yelling, no, you did not create us male and female. You made a mistake. In fact, you made plenty of them. And we're going to give these kids the same drugs we give in prison to castrate sex offenders. I'm telling you, it really is that evil. That's, that doesn't comport with any of the studies or documentation that exists from these medical organizations. What, what medical association are you talking about of these doctors? Again, the appeal to authority. You must agree with the organizations I believe are authoritative. It's just like the climate change cult. The government pays billions to scientists to come up with studies which say human activity is warming the earth, which is exactly what John Stuart Leibowitz wants to hear. Well, we have all of that in our uh legislative history and we'll be glad to provide that to you uh, i don't have the name of that off the top of my head i know it's something that you don't have the name of the organization that, that off you're the top that of my head oh okay but yes we have all of that cited in all of our briefs you're suggesting that protecting children means overriding the recommendations of the american medical association the american association of pediatrics the endocrine society yeah john all those organizations that see a windfall of profit. Yeah, that's right, John. Since all three of those organizations just asked Joe Biden's Department of Justice to prosecute us for disagreeing with them, to put us in jail simply for disagreeing with them. 
you better believe I wouldn't trust them. There would be tyrants who want to violate our constitutional rights. I will never trust an entity that wants to overturn our First Amendment right to free speech. Now, look, I'm not going to torment you with the rest of it. It gets so ridiculous that he tries to compare the desire to mutilate children with the desire to cure a child of cancer. Again, John Stuart Leibowitz is predisposed to believe that God made mistakes in how he created some of us or maybe not even believe in God at all. So if authority figures say we need to drug children, we need to mutilate children, that's all he needs to hear because he instinctively wants to trust and bow down to these authority figures. Man is naturally designed to worship, and if he doesn't worship God, he'll worship something or someone else. Now, suffice it to say, I am very proud of Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge for A, standing her ground against this reprobate, and B, for announcing she is appealing a federal court's decision to tell our Kansans we can't protect our children from these monsters. It's been a couple of months since a panel on the Eighth Circuit ruled against the state, and a lot of us have been wondering, would Leslie Rutledge stand up to Walmart in the state of Arkansas? And that's exactly what she's doing. It takes a lot of guts to stand up to Walmart, the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce, Murphy Oil in Arkansas, and I, seriously, I have a newfound respect for Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. Now, there's been a lot of response to John Stuart Leibowitz's interview with Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, and some of it has been eloquent. Let me share some of that with you. First, over on Twitter, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene said, the problem with people like John Stewart is that he attacks me for saying God made woman for man's rib, yet he belongs to the party that is so narcissistic that they believe people control the climate and cutting off body parts changes kids' gender. Takes a lot of faith, John. Senior Trump advisor Stephen Miller said, using the Orwellian phrase gender-affirming care inherently destroys one's credibility. Giving a boy... Puberty blockers, estrogen, and surgical castration does not affirm his gender, but denies and gravely assaults it. Those who speak truth have no need to mutilate our language. The great Heidi Briones, writer over at InSquad.com, said John Stewart advocating for child mutilation. This guy, imagine, having an argument based on, but, 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 the medical community says so. After all, they put us through with COVID. Really? Derangement. Then she says, their doctor said so is a horrible argument in every way. We should protect children from any bad actors, regardless of so-called qualifications or credentials. The great Jack Posobiec, over at Human Events, said Leslie Rutledge is a hero. Every state must ban gender experimentation on children. Now, let, let me mention something. 
Because I said, look, she's doing a great thing in defending this law in court, federal court, I might add. But I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't tell you that Robin Lundstrom was the main sponsor of this bill in the Arkansas House of Representatives, and Alan Clark was the main sponsor of this bill in the Arkansas State Senate. I think they deserve some credit. Just saying. See, Leibowitz has no idea. He thinks the Attorney General passed his laws. A lot of liberals are pretty ignorant. Okay, next, we have what John Stuart Leibowitz doesn't want you to know about. A female surgeon, Dr. Newport Gangopadye, who practices at the Lurie Hospital for Children in Chicago, admitting she did a double mastectomy on a 14-and-a-half-year-old girl. I would love to ask Leibowitz if that's okay with him. Double mastectomy on a 14-and-a-half-year-old girl. Is that fine, John? You down with that? Well, it's the guidelines, John, right? I mean, as long as it agrees with guidelines established by some organization, the AMA or whoever, who cares about the regrets? Who cares about the damage done? Hey, Leibowitz? So we have a small crowd this morning, but a very good crowd. So uh, feel free to unmute yourself, too, if you'd like to uh, uh, ask some questions. But I see Dr. Dopkin already went into the chat room and said, uh, what is the youngest age female to male you have operated on? Um, so it's actually been about 14 and a half. Um, we tend to start operating around the age of 15 or 16, um, partly just because um, some of the patients that are younger than that may not have established care um, for a long enough period to meet the criteria for the W path. And one of the things we sometimes struggle with with insurance companies, for which I've done a number of peer-to-peers, is just justifying that a patient under the age of 18 is still an appropriate candidate um, for surgery. So I would say 14 and a half is the youngest. On average, it tends to be 15 or 16 when I'm doing a lot of the surgeries. Okay, next we have Dr. Louis Roy. Now, he is a doctor at the Quebec College of Physicians. Quebec, Canada, and so he speaks French, so you will hear a female translating it into English, but what he is saying, he's suggesting that some 14 through 18-year-olds and some babies under one-year-old with what he calls severe, severe deformations and very grave and severe medical syndromes should be eligible for assisted death. In other words, this highly esteemed physician is attempting to set guidelines. He's attempting to establish rationalization for killing children. Guidelines. Now, that's the sort of thing John Stuart Leibowitz says he just loves, right? Guidelines on who to mutilate and how to mutilate them. And now perhaps even guidelines on who to murder and how to murder them. Minors from 14 to 7 years of age, nearly 18. Um, the rec committee recommends 
and the board of directors supports as well, that these minors could, uh, with their tutors or parental parent, could make a request for MAID based on the level of uh, persistent and intolerable suffering that they may experience and become unmanageable and senseless. The same for babies from zero to one years of age who are born with severe uh, deformations, very uh, grave and severe uh, syndromes, medical syndromes, whose life expectancy and uh, level of suffering are such that it would uh, make sense to ensure that they do not suffer. You got that? Did you know that in Holland, Senior citizens are afraid to go to the hospital because they're afraid of being euthanized. Now, in case you're wondering what the connection is between mutilating children and euthanasia, don't you see that it's all a part of the same worldview? You realize John Stuart Leibowitz and all these surgeons who mutilate children uh, you realize they're pro-abortion, right? I mean, many Planned Parenthood facilities openly advertise their transgender services. The one in Little Rock, Arkansas sure does. Now, next, we have testimony from a 17-year-old girl who is very brave. She was tricked into a double mastectomy at age 15. I'll bet Leibowitz wouldn't have the guts to interview her. Her name is Chloe Cole, and she is testifying in front of a committee in the California State Assembly. God bless her. My name is Chloe Cole, and I am a 17-year-old detransitioner from the Central Valley. I was medically transitioned from ages 13 to 16. My parents took me to a therapist who affirmed my male identity, and the therapist did not care about causality or encouraged me to learn to be comfortable with my body. He brushed off my parents' concerns about the efficacy of hormones, puberty blockers, and surgeries. My parents were given the threat of suicide as a reason to move me forward in my transition. My endocrinologist, after two or three appointments, put me on puberty blockers and injectable testosterone. At age 15, I asked to remove my breasts. My therapist continued to affirm my transition. I attended a top surgery class that was filled with around 12 girls that thought were, they were men. Most were my age or younger. None of us were going to be men. We were fleeing from the uncomfortable feeling of becoming women. I was unknowingly physically cutting off my true self from my body, irreversibly and painfully. Our trans identities were not questioned. I went through with surgery. Despite having therapists and attending the top surgery class, I really didn't understand all the ramifications of any of the medical decisions I was making. I wasn't capable of understanding, and it was downplayed consistently. My parents, on the other hand, were pressured to continue my so-called gender journey with a suicide threat. I will never be able to breastfeed a child. I have blood clots in my urine. I am unable to fully empty my bladder. I do not yet know if I am capable of carrying a child to full term. In fact, even the doctors who put me on puberty blockers and testosterone do not know. SB 107 is circumventing state's laws and I've needed safeguards in place so my story is not repeated. Children cannot consent. Vote no on SB 107. What are you gonna do with that, Lee Woods? What are you going to do with that? By the way, the great Colonel Kurt Schlichter over on Twitter, I think had the best 
most concise answer to Leibowitz's question about why some of us oppose castrating children. Colonel Schlichter said, I think the answer is pretty clear because you don't mutilate children to conform them to delusions, you freak. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's pretty concise. I think that's that's to the point. Now, interesting. I'm noticing on um, on Facebook, Democrats running for office in Arkansas, who of course don't have a chance. Don't have a chance of winning. Oh, they're all excited. They're all excited. about Leibowitz. Outrageous. Look, um, just want to remind you how thankful we are that we have advertisers who allow us to do this week after week as we approach our first anniversary on October 12th. Can't thank our advertisers who are our friends enough for making it possible for us to do what we do here. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guide you through a few easy questions, and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. 
If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you once again to our advertisers, our friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree at TurnMyPowerOn.com. They have been so helpful to me and my wife and so many people that we know at TurnMyPowerOn.com. Also, our buddy Mitch Ward got a really good deal on a great car at RedRiverYourWay.com. We appreciate you guys. All right, Julie Kelly, referring to Biden's Justice Department's refusal to bring charges in the murder of January 6th protester Ashley Babbitt, said shoot and kill an unarmed female Trump supporter in a public building, no charge. Allegedly place your body between abortion clinic volunteers and abortion seekers, FBI raids, felony charge, the possibility of years in prison. Have you heard what's going on? Let me um, let me share with you. Redstate.com. Nick Arama has the article entitled, This is Shameful, Wild Video of FBI Raid on Home of Yet Another Pro-Life Activist. He says, We've reported on the raids of pro-life activists by armed FBI showing up at their homes for extremely minor things. First, there was author Mark Houck, who was arrested by more than 20 armed agents in front of his screaming children at 7 a.m. in the morning recently. His alleged federal offense, he pushed a man who his wife said made offensive remarks to his 11-year-old son and wouldn't stay out of his face. Mark Houck now faces 11 years in prison under the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, the FACE Act. But then the Biden FBI went after 11 pro-life activists who had not even done that. Nicarama Red State says, we reported on the arrest of Chet Gallagher. All these pro-life activists did was nonviolently, peacefully protest outside an abortion clinic. So why did the FBI indict these people and send armed agents to their homes? Seven of the people indicted were charged with a civil rights conspiracy alleging they had engaged in a conspiracy to prevent the clinic from providing and patients from receiving abortion services. Actually, 
I read the affidavit. And the affidavit says that they were preventing them from receiving what they called reproductive health care. Reproductive health care. Now, that's going to be interesting. If this thing goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to see who at the U.S. Supreme Court has the guts to say, well, killing babies is not health care. Just, just so you know. Just thought I would throw that in. Anyway, Nicarama Red State continues, All 11 of these people were charged with violating the FACE Act by using physical obstruction to intimidate and interfere with a clinic's employees and a patient. Now the seven face up to 11 years in prison, three years of supervised release with fines of up to $350,000. The other five face a year in prison, a year of supervised release, and $10,000 in fines. Can we say political witch hunt to take down the pro-life movement? Because that's surely what it looks like. The protesters sat outside the clinic singing and praying. Now that under Joe Biden is now illegal. It looks like the criminalizing of protests that this government doesn't like. Townhall.com exclusively acquired video of the armed FBI at the home of a fellow named Paul Vaughn, like Mark Houck. They raided his home at 7 a.m., banging on the door and terrifying the family just before Vaughn was to take his children to school. And at this point, there is embedded in the Red State article a tweet with video, and you can see a couple of these FBI agents look like they're holding uh, AR-15s. And so we hear the voice of Mark Vaughn's wife. But if you're not going to let me, then I'll just... No, I want to know why you were banging on my door with a gun. Hey, right, you're not going to tell me anything? No, do not. And I, you, I, I tried. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You did not try. This is not acceptable. Now, she's saying that when she's approaching the government vehicle carrying her husband in the back seat. Moments later, she asks an FBI agent who ignores her for his name. She says, you're not going to give me your name? You're not going to give me any information? As they begin to drive away. Now, they handcuffed her husband on his porch in front of, her children, in front of his and her children. An FBI agent with an AR-15 confronted the children in the backyard one ran to the mother crying that the FBI was arresting daddy. She says, they traumatized me and my children 
intentionally. We will never forget this. Town Hall says his wife, shaking and fighting back tears, said she demanded to know what was happening. Still, the FBI agents refused to answer why they were there, did not identify themselves, did not show badges, provided no warrant proof, and did not say where they were taking her husband. Vaughn was placed in an SUV wearing his undershirt and jeans with no identification or means of communication when he got whisked away within a 10-minute time frame. Vaughn says their children were left shaken, frightened, and very upset. According to Vaughn, the family did not receive any official information about the cause of the raid or Vaughn's whereabouts until six hours after the arrest. He said he was held in a federal holding facility, brought before a judge, charged, and then released without a wallet or a cell phone, 60 miles away from his home in Hickman County, Tennessee. Vaughn told townhall.com, for over six hours, no one knew where I was and why I was kidnapped from my home at gunpoint. It took a good attorney six hours to be able to break through the bureaucracy and find the people who knew what was going on. In the meantime, his searching wife had to console their crying children. 9 I want to go over to Twitter. You don't have to be a member of Twitter. Go over to Twitter and look for the thread from a woman named Mia Cathell, C-A-T-H-E-L-L, with a little bit about the other folks who were indicted also, including an 87-year-old grandmother who earlier in her life escaped a communist concentration camp only to face the Biden, DOJ, and FBI. This is shameful. There's no crime here. They could have arranged to have them surrender with their attorneys rather than put people at risk in such a raid. When they do things like this, when their normal policy is to opt for the least dangerous option if they can, Mark Vaughn's wife is right. This is purposeful. When we see things like this and then firebomb attacks on crisis pregnancy centers have no arrests, even when a group says they did it, we have to ask again about bias and what is truly going on here. If these people have protested and obstructed Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing or rioted outside the federal courthouse in Portland, Oregon, or blocked highways with the Black Lives Matter, they would have been released without charge because it is no longer about enforcing the law under the Constitution, but the new law, according to the Biden administration. All right? Now, let me share with you a short article from the Federalist.com, John Daniel Davidson, called The First Thing Republicans Should Do When They Take Back Congress Is Impeach Merrick Garland. 
He said, should Republicans take control of the U.S. House and Senate in November, their first order of business before taxes, spending cuts, abortion restrictions, gun legislation, or anything else in their predictably anodyne agenda, should be to impeach Attorney General Merrick Garland. Under Garland, the Justice Department and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. By the way, did you know FBI no longer stands for Federal Bureau of Investigation? Now it just stands for following Biden's orders. Anyway, under Garland, DOJ and FBI have been thoroughly politicized and weaponized, transformed into instruments of terror, aimed at ordinary American citizens who have the temerity to oppose the Biden administration's radical agenda. Tax cuts for domestic manufacturers or whatever out-of-touch boilerplate thing GOP leaders imagine their priority should be once they regain Congress. That can wait. The urgent thing now is to impeach and remove Garland before he causes irreparable harm to the republic. Everything Garland has done as attorney general has been mendacity, just mendaciously political. Mendacity is a polite word for people who don't want to cuss and say BS. It means the same thing. From smearing parents who speak out at school board meetings as domestic terrorists to targeting peaceful anti-abortion activists while doing nothing about actual pro-abortion vigilantes attacking churches and pregnancy resource centers. Merrick Garland has to be stopped, and a determined Republican-led Congress is the only thing that can stop him. He's got a picture. One of these pregnancy resource centers with red paint all over the door as if it's blood and uh, graffiti saying revenge. Mary Margaret Olihan over at um, Twitter saying FBI will not share whether it has made a single arrest in its stated investigation into attacks on pro-life centers and organizations and Catholic churches following the leak of the Dobbs opinion, and some pro-life organizations tell me they never heard from the feds. By the way, once they've gotten rid of Garland, congressional Republicans should make their very next order of business dismantling the FBI and DOJ. Well, I wish they could get rid of Garland, but that's not the way impeachment works. Impeachment means you lose the vote in the House, then you have to have a trial in the Senate, and you have to have two-thirds of the senators vote to convict, and no Democrat is going to vote to convict Garland. Sorry, John Daniel Davidson, the Federalists, they're not going to get rid of Garland. They should impeach him because it's the right thing to do. But Anyway, congressional Republicans should make their very next order of business dismantling the FBI and DOJ. Both of these agencies have proven themselves to be corrupted beyond repair. They're enemies of the American people and must be scrapped entirely and replaced by something new, something with far less power and far more accountability. If that sounds drastic or melodramatic, as it might to some indifferent or merely idiotic Republican lawmakers, consider the shocking news. Just this past week, the Garland's DOJ has once again used the FBI to target peaceful anti-abortion activists for exercising their First Amendment rights. 
On Tuesday night, armed FBI agents swarmed into the home of 73-year-old anti-abortion activist Chet Gallagher on the outrageous pretext that he had violated an obscure federal statute, the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, or FACE Act. In fact, what Gallagher and 10 other activists had done was pray and sing in the hallway of a medical building that houses an abortion facility in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, last March. March of last year. The protest was entirely peaceful as ample video footage live-streamed on Facebook by the activists themselves attest. A few of them were arrested without incident by local police on misdemeanor trespass charges and promptly released. But in Merrick Garland's DOJ, what they did was use, quote, force and physical obstruction to injure, intimidate, and interfere with employees of the clinic and a patient who was seeking reproductive health services, unquote. Again, if this goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, let's see how many justices agree that killing babies is the same thing as reproductive health services. That's the way the indictment reads, a document so disconnected from reality that its mere existence beggars belief. And yet, it comes on the heels of an equally shocking FBI raid last month in the home of Mark Halk, Catholic father of seven, anti-abortion activist, arrested at gunpoint in front of his terrified wife and small children. His crime, you guessed it, he allegedly violated the FACE Act. By the way, the FACE Act was a Teddy Kennedy-sponsored bill in 1994, got bipartisan support. Mitch McConnell himself voted for it. So don't ever let Mitch McConnell tell you he's pro-life when he voted for a bill to make it a federal offense to sit down in front of an abortion clinic to try to save babies. Don't ever let cocaine Mitch tell you he's pro-life. Anyway, the article continues, but in Houck's case, the charges are even more spurious than those leveled against the Tennessee activists. The incident in question involved an altercation last October between Houck and a man named Bruce Love, a pro-abortion activist and escort, not an abortion provider or a woman seeking an abortion, near an abortion clinic in Philadelphia. Bruce Love allegedly got in the face of Houck's 12-year-old son who was relentlessly harassing him, saying all kinds of obscene things about his dad. An altercation ensued, and Houck reportedly shoved Love, Love, who fell to the ground. But as Margot Cleveland said recently in The Federalist, by Love's own account, the altercation did not amount to a violation of the FACE Act because Houck was standing at a corner away from the abortion facility No clients were involved, and the alleged assault had nothing to do with so-called reproductive services. That is to say, the government's case here is extremely weak and will likely be dismissed before a trial ever takes place, as a fair number of other alleged violations of the FACE Act have been in the past. What's more, Margot Cleveland detailed how Houck's attorney was in touch with the Justice Department about the matter months before the FBI raided Houck's home and offered to have Houck appear voluntarily in response to a summons. That email was sent in June, but the first response Houck's attorney got from the DOJ was on September 23rd, after Houck had already been arrested at his home 
at daylight, at gunpoint, in front of his whole family. These cases, though, are just the latest in a long train of egregiously selective enforcement of federal law by the Garland DOJ that's clearly intended to intimidate otherwise law-abiding American citizens. The same U.S. attorney pursuing the bogus case against Hauk, Anita Eve, has also handled some 40 January 6th cases in which similarly over-the-top arrest tactics were used. Indeed, Merrick Garland's DOJ has thrown the book at hundreds of January 6th defendants whose misdeeds in many cases amount to little more than unintentional trespassing. Hey, remember that? The video of the cops opening the door saying, come on in, the Capitol? Huh? Meanwhile, the FBI won't say whether it has made even a single arrest in the dozens of attacks against churches, pregnancy resource centers, and other pro-life organizations in the wake of the Dobbs leak back in May. The FBI admitted to the Daily Signal this past week in a statement that's almost identical to the one that issued the outlet in June that it is investigating the attacks and even that it considers some of them potential acts of domestic violent extremism or possible violations of the FACE Act. Yet for all that, the FBI has failed to announce a single arrest in connection with some 83 attacks on Catholic churches and 73 crisis pregnancy centers. Strange then that we have time to track down Hauk and a 73-year-old Chet Gallagher, not to mention 87-year-old Ava Edel, a woman named in the Tennessee indictment. All this amounts to precisely what it looks like. The weaponization of the Justice Department for partisan political ends. If a new Republican majority in Congress does nothing else next year, it should impeach Garland and dismantle a hopelessly corrupted DOJ and FBI. Whether GOP leaders realize it, the future of the Republic might just depend on them gutting up in the next Congress and doing what needs to be done. That's John Daniel Davidson over The Federalist. Article entitled, The First Thing Republicans Should Do When They Take Back Congress Is Impeach Merrick Garland. But more troubling news on top of that Even a shorter article at The Federalist, Evita Duffy, entitled Office of Republican Tennessee Governor Bill Lee Refuses to Condemn FBI Raid, Prosecution of 11 Peaceful Pro-Lifers. It's not good. The Office of Republican Governor Bill Lee failed to condemn the prosecution of 11 demonstrators charged by the DOJ for their role in a peaceful pro-life protest in his state of Tennessee. The governor's office also refused to say whether Lee plans on doing anything to protect the First Amendment rights of Tennessee pro-lifers targeted by President Biden's corrupt FBI. The home of one of the 11 pro-lifers, Chet Gallagher, was raided by armed agents recently. The charges were related to a pro-life event Gallagher orchestrated March 5th, 2021, when he and others peacefully and prayerfully attempted to convince mothers seeking an abortion to choose life at the Carafem abortion facility in Mount Juliet. That day, local police arrested several pro-lifers on misdemeanor trespass charges. They were later released after posting bail. However, local law enforcement's handling of the event wasn't good enough. 
for Biden's DOJ. So they go on to kind of repeat what the charges are and the possibilities of what the punishments might be if these people are found guilty. And then, this is crucial, the Federalists tried reaching out to Governor Lee's office by phone via his online contact form, and in an email to Governor Lee's Director of Communications, Casey Sellers, to ask if the governor was taking any action to protect pro-lifers like the 11 charged this past week. When the communications office did not respond, a note of the governor's non-response was included in an article about the FBI raid on Gallagher. Shortly after the story was published, Casey Sellers responded, saying that the governor condemned violent attacks on Tennessee's pro-life pregnancy resource centers and the DOJ's refusal to bring those responsible to justice. Okay, well, that's a start. She said the politicization of President Biden's DOJ is an abuse of power and the American people deserve answers about vandalism and violent threats against pregnancy resource centers across the country. Governor Lee has called this terrorism and demanded that a recent attack against Hope Clinic in Nashville be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Okay, great. Great start there. Her answer, however, unfortunately made no mention of the FBI's raid on Gallagher or its prosecution of other pro-lifers. When the aforementioned article was not updated with Seller's off-topic response, she emailed again, writing, it looks like the story hasn't been updated, so making sure you've seen this. The Federalist responded to Sellers, writing, we'd be happy to update our readers if you answer our question. Does Governor Bill Lee plan on doing anything to protect the First Amendment rights of Tennessee and pro-lifers like Chester Gallagher and the other 10 peaceful pro-life protesters who became political targets of the DOJ. Lee's communications office never responded. The Tennessee raid on Gallagher marks the second instance of the DOJ targeting pro-lifers in recent weeks. And, of course, they talk about the situation with Mark Halk also. This is um, very troubling. The FBI's laundry list of political attacks seems to be growing every day, including working to undermine President Trump while he was in office, to raiding his Mar-a-Lago home as soon as he left, then labeling parents who exercise free speech at school board meetings as terrorists, interfering in the 2020 election by instructing Facebook and likely other platforms to falsely brand the Hunter Biden laptop story as Russian disinformation to censor. That's Evita Duffy over the Federalist. A troubling article. Office of Republican Tennessee Governor Bill Lee refuses to condemn FBI raid prosecution of 11 peaceful pro-lifers. Okay. So, Dementia Joe recently said we are closer to nuclear war than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962, 60 years ago. Well, let's talk about that, okay? Now, first of all, I want to take a look at an article by a friend of the Doc Washburn Show, William Wolf, who was on a few weeks ago. Again, over the Federalist, 
entitled As Russia Threatens Nuclear War, Who in This Administration is Putting America First? He says a former def- deputy assistant secretary of defense recently asked the million-dollar question of the moment, is Ukraine worth fighting a nuclear war over? If not, we should act accordingly. If you answer that question by putting America's interests first, the answer is obviously no. If this is the case that Ukraine is not worth fighting a nuclear war over, how then should the U.S. act accordingly? Reasonable responses could vary, but whatever a smart course of action might be, that's not what we have witnessed over the last 10 days from the Biden administration and the pro-war crowd. Now again, this article dropped on Thursday, October 6th, just so you know. William Wolf continues, the most recent round of nuclear saber-rattling started around September 21st when Russian President Vladimir Putin warned in the face of a threat to the territorial integrity of our country to protect Russia and our people, we will certainly use all the means at our disposal. He repeated a similar warning Friday, September 30th, as Russia celebrated the annexation of four more regions of western Ukraine, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia talking about the precedent set by the U.S. using nuclear weapons in World War II. When approaching this topic, some caveats and principal statements are necessary. Number one, the Russian invasion of Ukraine should be condemned. Number two, Putin should be taken seriously. And number three, the use of any kind of nuclear weapons, tactical or otherwise, in Ukraine or in defense of the annexed regions, would be a massive escalation. American interests demand we act accordingly to avoid a nuclear confrontation with Russia. But in response to the ratcheted-up rhetoric from the Russians, it appears we have lost our collective minds. Has it been decreed by the powers that be that it's worth risking a nuclear holocaust over the Donbass? It seems so. Two weeks ago, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told CBS's Face the Nation, quote, We have communicated directly, privately, and at very high levels to the Kremlin that any use of nuclear weapons will be met with catastrophic consequences for Russia, that the U.S. and our allies will respond decisively, and we have been clear and specific about what that will entail, unquote. Jake Sullivan doubled down on this line the next Friday during a White House press briefing when he was asked would the U.S. actively enter the war if Putin uses nukes on Ukraine? He didn't say no. He didn't say that would be up to Congress since they have the constitutional authority to declare war. No. He repeated, quote, We have had the opportunity to communicate directly to Russia a range of consequences for the use of nuclear weapons and the kinds of actions the United States would take, unquote. Given that such an attack wouldn't be on the U.S., wouldn't even be on NATO, just what consequences is the Biden administration at liberty to dispense without a formal declaration of war from Congress? The constitutional question didn't seem to trouble a former CIA director, General David Petraeus, 
on ABC recently either. In response to the nuclear question, Petraeus told this week co-anchor Jonathan Carl, quote, Just to give you a hypothetical, we would respond by leading a NATO, a collective effort that would take out every Russian conventional force that we can see and identify on the battlefield in Ukraine and also in Crimea and every ship in the Black Sea, unquote. John Carl rightly noted that this would bring America and NATO into the war. Yes, it would. Into the war. Just like that. Congress and the Constitution be damned. Now, in light of all this brinkmanship, I have to ask, because it seems like no one else is, who is putting our American interests first? Who in the cadre of the adults that are supposedly back in charge, is leading in such a way as to avoid dragging the U.S. into a direct and possibly nuclear-armed confrontation with Russia over foreign soil. It's been little more than one year since Biden's disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, a lingering reminder that we have precious little to show for our last 20-plus years of foreign adventurism and failed exercises in nation-building, So-called sacred democracy is not an export every country wants to take at the end of a gun. Far too many American lives were lost in the Middle East and far too many freedoms at home during the war on terrorism. So I think I speak on behalf of most of my fellow Americans when I say not a single drop of American blood should be spilled on Ukrainian soil. And while the military-industrial complex might be thrilled at the prospects of a hot war in Ukraine as they ride the irresponsible riverboat of billions of dollars in aid, American citizens are rightly wondering how any of this spending, any of this rhetoric, and any of this warmongering helps them put cheaper food on their tables and gas in their tanks. Ukraine is not a NATO ally. For that, we should be eternally grateful. Yet even as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky Stages is made for TV, NATO application signing. We must be frank, Ukraine has no business being in NATO. This very conversation about the possible use of nuclear weapons in a so-called American response underscores that reality. Okay, let's ask, what if Russia were to use a tactical nuclear weapon on the battlefield in Ukraine? To be clear... That will be a disastrous and deadly escalation in an already ill-fated war. Yet even if Russia did, what possible benefit could there be for the U.S. and for American citizens by responding in kind? Answer, none whatsoever. The same goes for an overwhelming or catastrophic conventional response. Why are our leaders so confident Putin would be willing to suffer a serious strike and then back down. The hubris beggars belief. One of the things I admired most about former President Donald Trump while serving at the State Department and the Pentagon during his administration was his restraint. Whether it was in our pursuit of real diplomacy with the belligerent nuclear power of North Korea or refusing to escalate in response to Iran shooting down one of our surveillance drones, President Trump displayed strength through restraint, power through prudence, and now is a time for restraint. 
Now, I can already hear the neocon accusations of this posture of being pro-Putin getting drafted over the dispatch. The dispatch is a news and commentary website you've never heard of that is run by people who used to be conservatives, who used to be Republicans. That's what he's talking about. He says, to which I say, let the dispatch and the D.C. Beltway boo. If the Beltway is booing, the heartland is cheering. I'm sure most New Yorkers would be cheering along with the heartland too if it means they won't be witnessing a mushroom cloud rising over Manhattan anytime soon. Now, some may argue that this kind of bluster is what's necessary to ensure real nuclear deterrence. James Traub at Foreign Policy records that former Secretary of State John Foster Dulles once boasted of his gifts and nuclear blackmail, saying, Some say that we were brought to the verge of war. Of course, we were brought to the verge of war. The ability to get to the verge without getting into the war is a necessary art. Now, such diplomacy may be an art, one that requires real skill, but allow me to indulge one half of another hypothetical here. Even if it were worth it for America to counter a nuclear strike in Ukraine, does anyone seriously think this administration is the one we can trust to pull it off? Discretion is the better part of valor. Doubly so when incompetence defines your operations. There is no John Foster Dulles or even a near equivalent serving in our national security apparatus. The truth the few seem willing to state clearly is this. Nuclear brinkmanship over Ukraine puts America last. Ukraine is Europe's problem, not ours. And are we the only nation with nuclear weapons that might defend Ukraine? What about the United Kingdom? What about France? When it comes to our domestic priorities, the only party who stands to gain from America, either fully entering the war in Ukraine or returning nuclear fire on Russia, is China. There's no doubt that the Chinese Communist Party is cheering on this development with as much eager anticipation as the forever war uniparty here at home. Still, there's no need to let the beating of nuclear war drums march us into an unwinnable disaster that may yield radioactive consequences on our own soil. Joe Biden says there's not one inch of NATO territory we won't defend. Fine. But Ukraine is not a NATO. Thus, there's not an inch of Ukrainian soil that's worth risking a nuclear strike on our home soil over. Not one. Admitting this isn't weakness, it's reason and restraint. It's putting America's interests and American lives, possibly millions of them, first. The Biden administration, the Bloodhawks, screeching from the defense contractor-funded think tanks, might not care to do so, but I do. I learned at least that much from my time serving President Trump. Wherever the cooler heads are in the Biden camp, let's hope and pray they prevail. There's no doubt that a midterm election October surprise is most likely coming. There's no need at all for it to be a nuclear one. That's William Wolfe, who served as a senior official in the State Department and as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense at the Pentagon under President Trump. He's now a visiting fellow at the Center for Renewing America. 
And that's his article over the Federalist entitled, As Russia Threatens Nuclear War, Who in This Administration is Putting America First? Now, obviously, this article was written before Biden said what he said about how close we might be to nuclear war. To get the fallout from that, we go over to the Washington Examiner, chief political correspondent Byron York, little blurb over here, his little article called Joe Biden's Armageddon Fundraiser. He said, with just a few weeks left before the midterm elections, on Thursday night, Joe Biden traveled to New York to attend a Democrat Party fundraiser. Such events don't normally produce earth-shattering news, but this one did. Biden told party contributors gathered at the home of investor and donor James Murdoch, we have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. Just wow. Now, by the way, James Murdoch is a younger son of media mogul Rupert Murdoch, the guy that started Fox News. In case you're wondering why Fox News continues to go further and further to the left since Rupert has kind of retired and handed the business over to his sons. Just so you know. Anyway, Biden told the crowd... Russian President Vladimir Putin, mired in the Ukrainian war he started, is threatening to use tactical weapons. Biden said, and I quote, He's not joking. I don't think there's any such thing as the ability to easily use a tactical nuclear weapon and not end up with Armageddon. It was the grimmest of news. Here you got the guy in the Oval Office. I'm not going to call him president. Warning of imminent nuclear annihilation. The headlines were ominous. Biden warns of nuclear Armageddon, said the Drudge Report. New York Times said, Biden calls the prospect of Armageddon the highest since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Washington Post said, Biden suggests Putin's nuclear threats mean a prospect of Armageddon. Here's a question. There could be nothing of greater import to the people of the United States than the prospect of nuclear war. Nothing. So why did the resident, I don't call him president, why did the resident of the United States make his most extensive and alarming remarks on the subject to a few people at a Democrat fundraiser on the Upper East Side of Manhattan? Shouldn't he tell someone else first, like the whole nation? Another weird thing about Biden's nuclear scenario, he didn't lead with it. The pool report from the fundraiser said Biden began his remarks the way he begins most political speeches these days by expounding on the threat he says the Republican Party poses to American democracy. According to the pool report, Biden said, this is not your father's Republican Party. There's an assault on all these institutions. He named the Supreme Court and the White House as under GOP threat. He then gave an assessment of the midterm elections he said, I feel pretty good where we are as it relates to the Senate, but he didn't have as much optimism about Democrats keeping the House. Biden then moved on to abortion, then to climate change. Then he bragged about passing the misleadingly named Inflation Reduction Act. 
than the attacked Republican Senators Rick Scott of Florida and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. It was only at that point. After all the political chat, that Biden finally got around to mentioning the threat of nuclear war. Now again, this is from the pool report's characterization of Biden's remarks. He said a lot was at stake in foreign policy too. Said he would continue to support Ukraine. Spoke of the nuclear threat. First time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, we have the threat of a nuclear weapon. If, in fact, things continue down the path they're going, we're trying to figure out what is Putin's off-ramp. Where does he find a way out? Where does he find himself where he does not only lose face but significant power? That was the quote the pool report had from Biden. Here's the rest of it. We have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. We've got a guy I know fairly well. He's not joking when he talks about potential use of tactical nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons because his military is, you might say, significantly underperforming. I don't think there's any such thing as the ability to easily use a tactical nuclear weapon and not end up with Armageddon. I didn't realize how much serious damage the previous administration did to our foreign policy, unquote. What a nice touch in closing. Warn of nuclear annihilation and say if it does happen, it'll be all Donald Trump's fault. If the worst happens, Joe Biden will be pointing fingers till the end. Now, another odd thing about Biden's nuclear remarks is that not only did he not lead with what was clearly the most important story, a lot of news organizations didn't either. With the exception of the Drudge Report, which posted a big photo of a mushroom cloud, outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post did not run banner headlines about Biden warning of all-out nuclear war. Indeed, as the nuclear threat Arising out of the Ukraine war increases, there has been a strangely muted reaction to it in much U.S. media. Not long ago, the writer Matthew Iglesias tweeted out, everyone is surprisingly chill about the clearly elevated risk of nuclear war. He was right. Everyone is surprisingly chill about it. I think Matty Iglesias um, writes for the Washington Post, but he's got me uh, he's got me blocked on Twitter. So Byron York, Washington Examiner, says, "Why is everyone in D.C. surprisingly chill about the prospect of nuclear war? Is it because nobody really believes it'll happen? Is?" It because there has been so much elite, bipartisan buy-in to the increasingly consequential U.S. role in the war in Ukraine that nobody really wants to dwell on the possible result? Is there some other reason? The answer is not clear. Since Biden mentioned JFK, by the way, and specifically the Cuban Missile Crisis, it might be a good thing to go back to Kennedy's famous speech, October 22, 1962, in which he explained the Soviet threat to missile installations in Cuba and what the U.S. would do to protect itself and the hemisphere from Soviet aggression. Now, we actually happen to have a clip from President Kennedy's speech. 
I went out and found it. I thought it would be useful for you to hear what he said. It's less than a minute long. In the defense of our own security and of the entire Western Hemisphere and under the authority entrusted to me by the Constitution as endorsed by the resolution of the Congress, I have directed that the following initial steps be taken immediately. First, to halt this offensive buildup, a strict quarantine on all offensive military equipment under shipment to Cuba is being initiated. All ships of any kind bound for Cuba, from whatever nation or port, will if found to contain cargoes of offensive weapons be turned back. This quarantine will be extended if needed to other types of cargo and carriers. We are not at this time, however, denying the necessities of life, as the Soviets attempted to do in their Berlin blockade of 1948. Wow. So, Kennedy's speech, televised on all channels and broadcast on radio also, TV and radio, with a sober, detailed, and determined address to the nation and to the world, and it was huge news. No one, no one was surprisingly chill about that. And Kennedy did not deliver to a small crowd at a party fundraiser in a Manhattan townhouse. So, to paraphrase Joe Biden himself, this is not your father's Democrat party. Okay? So, that having been said, I guess it's time to say, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Okay, it's a two-parter. Kelly O'Donnell, senior White House correspondent for NBC News. She says, on Air Force One, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says there is no new intelligence that shaped the president's use of the term Armageddon discussing Putin and nuclear weapons at the fundraiser the night before. So the great Stephen L. Miller has a tweet of the day. Hey, just kidding, everybody. Just kidding. Because Biden is so far gone mentally that he just pops off and says crazy stuff, apparently. Now, if I may, that was before somebody blew up the very modern bridge connecting Russia with Crimea which, of course, would be an act of war, just like uh, disabling the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in the Baltic Sea would be an act of war. Seems like somebody, whoever's in charge of Biden, because you know Biden's not in charge, whoever's in charge of Biden really wants to go to war with Russia. 
So I guess, I guess that'd be China wants us at war with Russia. Anyway. I hope that doesn't happen because it would be cataclysmic. Anyway, we're thankful for the opportunity to keep doing what we do here week in and week out as we approach our first anniversary on October 12th. You've been listening to episode 255 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth, and that's the way it is. Sunday, October ninth, twenty twenty-two.